Are you looking for the best tips and tricks to run a successful dental practice? You're in the right place. Welcome to Bulletproof Dental Practice, interviewing some of today's most successful dentists with your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak. What's up, everybody? It's Dr. Craig Spodak of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast, and I'm really thrilled because we just finished a recording for the Thriving Dentist Podcast Show with the one and only Gary Takis. This was a very special occasion because it marks Gary's 300th podcast. He's been doing it over six years, so he's like the OG of the Dental Practice Podcast. So it was a wonderful interview. We spent about an hour talking about everything, different modalities of practice, uh, what it is to be geek chic. I'm sure some of you know that, but Gary and I are self-professed geeks. So it's a real honor to share this information on our own podcast, about an hour long. I think you'll get a lot of good takeaways from it. Gary's wonderful, and uh, we had a good exchange together. So please enjoy the attached content. If you like it, if this is adding value, please comment, like our podcast, share our podcast. Our goal is to give back in any way that we can do that or help us do that better. We're all ears. We just want to help. So hope you enjoy the uh, content, and we look forward to talking with you soon. All the best. This is The Thriving Dentist Show with Gary Takas, where we help you develop your ideal dental practice, one that provides personal, professional, and financial satisfaction. Welcome to another edition of The Thriving Dentist Show. I'm Gary Takis, your show host. This is a very exciting episode because it is show number 300. Woohoo! And I have a very special guest, a wonderful friend of mine, uh, Dr. Craig Spodak. Hey, Craig, how are you? Hey, Gary, it's great to be here, and congratulations on 300 episodes and five years of podcasting. It's so cool. Yeah, you know, when I started this uh, uh, over six years ago, my my passion, my vision uh, was to bring authorities uh, uh, on the show and, and simply talk about their area of interest. So the idea was to do an interview format where I'd bring authorities on, and uh, we would talk about uh, something they're passionate about. And here we are now six years into it, and... Uh, and I, I can't think of anyone better to have to celebrate a 300th episode than you, man. How cool is this? That's awesome, Gary. Thank you so much. It's a real honor to be here, and I'm excited to share with our listeners. I love dentistry like you do. It's my passion, my vocation, and 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 uh, everything for me. It's my hobby, my, my profession, everything. I love it. So well, really we- excited to be here. For our listeners' benefit, uh, we, uh, Craig and I have, uh, many, many, many friends in common, some just amazing people that we're so proud to call friends. And uh, we also have some hobbies and interests in common. And I'll just call out, besides dentistry, of course, you know, that's the, the big common thread, but there's two that kind of jump out that might be fun for our listeners to know. We both enjoy sailing. In fact, you just had a great trip to one of my favorite places on the planet, Catalina Island, offshore of Southern California. And uh, you spent, it was a four or five day trip sailing out of Los Angeles, had a great time. Yeah, it was really wonderful. So one of my buddies uh, is an avid sailor. He grew up in the Bay Area of San Francisco, grew up sailing. And uh, he he lives down here in Southern Florida. And he's kind of bing-bonging around the Caribbean for a while. And then he just, just gets a bug in his bonnet to cross the Panama Canal and go up to Alaska 
So he's now stationed at a Marina Del Rey in Los Angeles. And I kind of invited myself because he's a good friend of mine and took my wife and I in that boat. It was just magic. It's such a beautiful place. Oh, so it is. And you were on an incredible boat. You, uh, you're on a Leopard 48 catamaran. Uh, but by the way, if that opportunity ever presents itself again, Craig, you wouldn't have to ask me twice uh, <laughs> to bring my wife along and join. I'm just saying, just, just saying. Well, there was another couple, so it, the boat easily slipped, uh, sleeps uh, uh, three couples. We all had our own staterooms. It was literally like a floating Ritz-Carlton. I mean, the boating I'm used to is like being sleeping on the bow of a you know 25-foot Boston whaler or something like that. So this was a very special, special <laughs> I can imagine. Hey, the other thing we have in common is that uh, you and I are fellow geeks, fellow nerds, <laughs> and you introduced me to a term that um, – I like you, you, uh, you have been called geek chic. <laughs> <laughs> Explain that. I mean, that, that sounds cool. Doesn't it? Well, listen to me. I, I, uh, I don't mind, uh, thinking of myself like you as a geek. I, I, I am very into certain hobbies. I'm also a, a, a pilot, a, you know, a private pilot. So I get really into technicalities of things and I like to learn a lot. And well, I just discovered I we have a third interest. I started flying when I was 14, uh, oh, cool. soloed we're, on my 16th birthday. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely geeks. Uh, but there is, there is a chic in geek and, uh, I'm happy that you and I are bringing that to the world. So for the, for the geeks out there listening, uh, you know, celebrate there, there's promise in being a geek. These <laughs> that's days. right. That's right. Well, Hey, let's uh, introduce our topic, uh, for our listeners benefit. Uh, uh, we have listeners in 156 countries. So, uh, if you're new to the thriving dentist show, welcome. Uh, we appreciate each and every one of you. If you're a long time listener, uh, let me extend a heartfelt thank you to you. I appreciate each and every one of you. So our topic, we're, we're going to talk about your practice model, which, uh, for lack of a better term, I'm going to label the one-stop shop, the one-stop shop. And the concept is that you have a, a large practice, uh, 18 operatories, one building, a beautiful building. We're talking about your building a little bit, but you have, uh, an 18 operatory facility, uh, with 10 docks total and 52 team members. Did I get the statistics generally right there? You got them exactly right, Gary. Ah, uh, exactly what the story is here. And uh, you know, it's funny as 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 you're listening, as I can imagine, there's two camps for for people listening to this. One camp is saying, "Oh my gosh, how cool is that? I want to hear more." And there's another camp that's thinking, <laughs> "52 team members. Oh my gosh." <laughs> I yeah. want to hear more, <laughs> but I can imagine that our audience is somewhat polarized right now in, in terms of, uh, they're all intrigued. Uh, hey, hey Gary, depending on the day I'm polarized <laughs> about whether it's a good idea or not. <laughs> so this is a no holds barred, uh, absolutely, you know, unvarnished interview. We're, we're going to tell it like it is uh, right, Craig. Yeah. There's no other way to do it. I mean, listen, uh, I'm a wet fingered practicing dentist learning just like the rest of us. And I'm learning as at the same time that I'm trying to educate, I'm learning from the people we're, I'm talking to. So it's, it's always good. And it's funny because you can tell what camp a dentist is in just by the language they use. So when they say like, I have 20 employees I have to deal with or, or versus I have 20 five team members I get to work with. So I actually think I actually listen. There's a word that I listen for that in, in, for me, it's somewhat cryptic. It's the word staff. I think, I think staff's an infection, by the way. Oh, wait, 
I guess you spell that differently, right? <laughs> but when a doctor says they have, you know, 10 staff, it means versus I have 10 team members. I hear that differently. Do you hear that differently? Oh, big time. And I mean, we could also think about, you know, em- employee or, you know, management, leadership, engagement, stakeholder. Right. There's so much in the words we use. I mean, there's there's thousands and thousands of emotions, but yet just very few words we funnel things into. Well, I'm so doing I'm, uh, I, I'm doing a course coming up in a couple of weeks uh, in at Disney at Disneyland out in, in Anaheim, uh, and it's lessons from Disney that we can apply in dentistry. And I'll just give you a lesson from there that if you've done uh, any study with the Disney Institute, uh, they refer to their customers. You know, the people that come to the Disney parks, they're not customers. They're not patrons. Uh, they're called guests. And the, the concept is that uh, the words we use are very important. Yeah, that's so true. And their team members are not employees or team. They're mm. cast members. They're cast members. Exactly. Exactly. The by the, by the way, Craig, we're, uh, we had so much success with this in terms of the interest in the, the Disney to dentistry concept. We're going to be doing a couple courses a year in 2018. We'll do one out West uh, at Disneyland in Anaheim. And then we're going to do one in your uh, neck of the woods in Orlando uh, at Disney world. So uh, uh, I'll have to let you know about that. But by the way, yeah, I'm uh, definitely uh, signing up for that Gary, 100% because <laughs> well, I called Disney Institute at one point and the amount of money that it was going to take to to get enrolled in that, I I, I don't quote me, but I think it was like fifty to eighty grand. Uh, yep. So if I can get those tools, tips, and techniques from a dental relevant guy like you, that would be awesome. You Presuming can. it's less than eighty grand. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, Seventy nine nine. <laughs> <laughs> no. In, in all seriousness, we uh, I I co teach that course uh, with a, a gentleman by the name of Travis uh, Fredrickson, and Travis is uh, Disney Institute trained, and the two of us co teach that, and uh, it's very affordable and and just a lot of fun. So uh, consider yourself invited. By the way, uh, uh, Craig is located in Delray Beach, Florida. That if you don't know your Florida geography, it's about midway between Fort Lauderdale to the south and West Palm Beach to the north uh, on the Atlantic side. Uh, did I get the geography uh, pretty close? Yes, sir. Right on the money. Yeah. Well, it, it, so we're going to tell the story about your practice and uh, let's go ahead and provide a little bit of background uh, for our listeners. Craig, you're a, a third generation dentist. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, let's take a minute and celebrate that for just a minute. That is a very cool uh, piece of DNA <laughs> in your in your <laughs> life. Uh, and uh, your father uh, originally founded uh, the Spodak Dental Group in, in 1976. Uh, I believe, but your grandfather practiced in New York. Is that correct? Yeah. He was a a 1927 graduate from NYU school of dentistry um, and practice. I actually have patients that have seen all three generations of us. Uh, That's getting a little bit more rare now as time goes on, but I have had a couple of patients that have seen us all. Wow. Uh, so, uh, so your grandfather practiced, uh, in, in New York and then your father relocated down to, must've got tired of the winters or something and came down to, uh, the Delray beach, Florida area. Yes, sir. Yeah. So he worked for my grandfather for like a week and, uh, couldn't hang. So for those of you guys that are working with family <laughs> members, it is challenging. And, uh, you know, my dad, I, I got out of Tufts dental school in 1998 and joined my dad. My dad, uh, had a very small practice at the time. My mom worked the front desk and had an appointment book that you had to write in with pencil. And we had a TV in the waiting room that was hanging from the ceiling with like chains, literal chains. 
<laughs> and it wasn't really my idea of what <laughs> dentistry in the future could be. So uh, we toiled a little bit in that model for seven, eight years, and then I decided to step up and take over the reins of the practice. Right. And your vision uh, must have been to uh, uh, pr- develop a, a large practice that would include specialty services as well. Uh, and uh, you opened a new building in uh, or built a new building in 2013 that I want to talk a little bit about. But Craig, are you OK talking about numbers? Can we share some numbers with our with our listeners? Absolutely. Yeah. You're going to produce somewhere, uh, produce and collect uh, somewhere between nine and $10 million this year. Does that sound, uh, am, am I, am I accurate on that? Yes. Provided uh, another hurricane, God forbid, doesn't roll through here. But yeah, that's, that sounds like our plan. Yeah. And our trajectory. Yeah. So, you know, if you're listening to this, we could, we could talk or you know, consider this tips to develop a $10 million practice. How does that sound? Sounds great to me. Yeah. So let's talk about this building. So you built this building. It's amazing, by the way. Uh, you, uh, you opened it in 2013. It is LEED, uh, gold certified, which, uh, some of you may have heard that, uh, maybe you're, you're familiar with, uh, uh, ecology terms, but if you're not, that stands for LEED stands for leadership in energy and environmental design. And by the way, it's very difficult to get your building lead certified. Um, why was that important to you, Craig? So, so just to rewind a little bit, my, my goal was really to revolutionize dentistry. I, as a third generation dentist, I kind of felt like I'd been put on this planet for dentistry. So it's, it's, I'm really passionate about it. And I wanted to provide what I would consider to be massive benefit for my patients. So practicing in South Florida, we get a lot of dentally advanced cases where you know, people have had, you know, so much dentistry that it, it's very just, it's a, we get an average of a complicated, the, the cases are quite complicated. So my patients were getting frustrated having to be sent from place to place and the lab being located off site. And I dreamt to create a model where everything was under one roof because I thought that would add the most amount of value to the patient and give me the most amount of fulfillment. I recognized it might not be the most profitable way to practice but that wasn't really the main driver for me. The main driver was to create my vision or to express my vision. So I want to just talk about that for a second because in dentistry, there's so much conversation around what is the best dental business model. I mean, as if that happens at restaurant conventions, what's the best restaurant model? I mean, sometimes it's Chipotle and other times it's Morton's, but there's a niche for everybody. And there's Whatever is in your heart to express as your vision for your own dental practice is suitable as long as it's taking good care of the patients and it fulfills your long-term vision and goals. So everybody's correct and everybody's right. Everything can be expressed in dentistry. So this is not one of these ideas that this is the future of dentistry and if you don't do it, you're going you're gonna to fail or this is the right way to do it. This is just my personal vision of what I wanted to express. In the fact, same- you've, even, uh, you, you've even used a term that I absolutely love because it's very unique. I, I haven't heard this uh, used to kind of describe your, your vision or your passion, uh, but you call it your noble cause and, and you use the plural term, our noble cause, meaning you and your team members. And uh, may I share your noble cause with our listeners? Is. Your, your noble cause is amazing because it, it, it's simple, but it's profound. And here it is, making the world a better place through the power of compassion. Making the world a better place through the power of compassion. And Craig, I want to recognize how brilliant that is uh, because it's simple. 
And, and yet it's profound because it guides everything that you do. It, it guides the spirit that you want your team members to show your patients. Uh, it guides, guides who your team members are in the first place. If they're not compassionate, they don't have a, uh, they don't have a, a seat on your bus. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And your, and your doctors, if your doctors, you know, they, they may be, you know, a, a, de- a dentist may be an absolutely brilliant clinician, but if they lack passion, they're, they also don't have a seat on your bus. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've had to part ways with dentists who are clinically exceptional, but didn't have the compassion that I wanted them to have. I mean, at the end of the day, your, your patient actually needs to feel like they're loved by you yeah. and the team actually needs to feel like they're loved by the leader. So you can't treat your patients well if your team doesn't feel um, supported and secure and safe. This so, so this so resonates with me, Craig. Uh, we, we haven't uh, uh, haven't been able to frame it as cl- as clearly as you have with a title like our noble cause. Uh, but what we've said is our goal is to treat patients the way we'd like to be treated. And that's our version of our noble cause. And, uh, we really like that because again, it guides everything we do. It, it, it guides the materials that we use. It guides the, the type of team members we have on our team and so on. So good for you. And, and, uh, I love that it's, it's so, uh, values centered first, uh, financially centered later. And I love that because, uh, it, it, again, it mirror, we haven't talked about this, Craig. So, uh, it, it mirrors my philosophy to a T that uh, I believe that if we do the right things, the economics follow. And I know that not all coaches and consultants uh, feel that way. Uh, and I, I personally feel like if everything is re- built around the financial side, uh, it's misguided. It's if we yeah, start. And there's sound ROI behind that, Gary. It's not just woo-woo yeah. stuff. It's there's sound ROI. Well, behind. I can I can prove that myself. I I know you can prove that, and and others. Uh, but uh, you know, I I kind of cringe when I hear uh, uh, some in our profession that are so numbers focused. Uh, now that that's not to say that numbers aren't important. You and I have a very co- a, a wonderful common friend. Let's give him a call out, uh, Weston Lunsford, uh, the the founder and CEO of Dental and Tell. Uh, by the way, wouldn't want to practice without them. And, and it is a, a company that provides us detailed metrics. So we pay attention to this stuff, but it's not what we lead with. Is that an accurate way to kind of describe your approach financially, Craig? Would that be an accurate way to describe it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I just look for happy patients, happy team and good results. And that's kind of future money. The, the leading indicator is happy employees or happy team members, happy patients and good results. The lagging indicators money shows up as a result of that. If the money comes first, then the focus in the, is in the wrong spot. Not that it doesn't matter. And I'm, I'm so happy you brought up Wes and Dental Intel because before them, I was literally scratching my head trying to figure out the trends in my practice, trying to pull up the data from my practice management system, making educated guesses at best. And I have a system that extrapolates that data and puts it into colored pie charts that all of us can understand. And in full disclosure, I'm a paying customer of Dental Intel. And and, and the, the people I've referred are all saying that they would pay double because it just, if you can look at that that information and create an actionable team that's results that's results driven and tied to the performance of those metrics, 
your practice is going to explode. So I'm so thankful for them. You, you know, uh, Craig, that I'm a, a graduate of the University of Oregon, and uh, uh, I, I first learned something from the legendary track coach, Bill Bowerman. Uh, Bill Bowerman co-founded Nike with Phil Knight uh, in the 19, late 1950s, 1958. Uh, and uh, Bill Bowerman uh, had a saying, a quote that goes like this, things that are measured improve. And he was right when it came to track and field, and we can apply that same concept to your practice. And it's magical when you have a noble cause leading your practice, such as making the world a better place through the power of compassion, combined with measuring the right KPIs, key performance indicators. It, it's literally magical. Uh, well, let's come back to this building. So your vision was to, uh, you, you had in the past experienced uh, on these uh, patients that had needed more complex dentistry, they were getting bounced around, having to go here, there, and everywhere, and uh, maybe not even experiencing common information as they were going to, into different practices. And so your vision was to house it all in one roof, uh, but it had much more than that. You you had a, uh, a ecology orientation as well and a design orientation. Talk a little bit about some of the cool things you wanted to incorporate in your new building. So our noble cause, I'm so happy you brought that up. It's making the world a better place through the power of compassion. It's not creating a great world for the patient. So we we, gra- we we really started to distill down. This was like a full day meeting where all the team was there. And we're like, why do we exist beyond making money? What's our true mission here? I mean, I know we fix teeth and we do all that stuff, but what's the greater uh, cause here? And then it started to get a little bit more broad. It's, are we really just helping patients? Are we helping the profession? Or are we just really trying to shape the world? And it really was resonating with the team that it was a world cause. It was, you know, obviously we don't have a global reach, but I mean, anybody who has access to the internet and, and YouTube can can have a, a seat at the world headquarters. You, you do have the capability to influence the world. So we, we thought about ecology and charity. And, um, you know, right now my receptioner is filled with stuff that's going to the islands. We're hosting a huge event this Friday called the One Love event. We have the president of the United Way from the U.S. Virgin Islands coming and a, and a whole bunch of people from uh, down in the Caribbean coming and probably 300 people and literally um, containers worth of stuff, not just, you know, stuff that you can put in the back of your uh, your, your pickup truck here. Right. So, so we thought in order to express this level of compassion to the world, our building has to be significant as well, has to stand for something. And most dental offices are built into pre-existing spaces and they're usually in shopping centers. So they have the front door and some light at the front door because it's usually storefront glass and they're usually long and narrow. Um, So they're kind of like bowling ball or bowling alley light. (laughs) And we said, if we have a a blank canvas here and we're able to build a a building from the ground up, what is it going to stand for? What is it going to mean to people? So we wanted to reframe the dental experience and build something that's going to comfort patients, be a stand for the environment, and reframe what's possible for a dental experience. And so much of what's possible is your physical surroundings. So I managed to find, um, I, I'm a big fan of art and architecture, and I like you know, guys like our Corbusier and um, all this postmodern Frank Lloyd Wright stuff. and. Mm-hmm. And I, I know of this guy named Michael Singer because I would get like different magazines that would highlight his work. He did uh, an art exhibit at the U.S. Embassy in Greece, and he did a, a big project in New York. And I was happening to meet a friend of mine, and I talked about Michael Singer. And he said, oh, well, do you know he lives here? 
in Del Rey. I'm like, no, he lives in Vermont. It's probably the wrong Michael Singer. He's like, no, it's the artist. He's been in MoMA and Guggenheim, and he lives here for part of the year. He's only in Vermont in the win- on the summer, and he comes here in the winters. And he's like, well, I could get you to meet him. And I'm like, oh, my God, that'd be wonderful. So he puts together a meeting, and we had Jersey Mike subs, and I'm meeting this, like, basically hero of mine. And he says, you know, I could build your building. And sarcastically, I said, Michael, that's great, but why don't you get uh, Paloma Picasso to paint my bathrooms too, and we'll <laughs> make my dental chairs out of gold. I, I got no money, man. I got, I'm, I've got, I'm leveraged to the hilt with loans here. And he basically said, listen, I live in Delray. I have nothing of mine in Delray, and I will do your building for what the local architect will charge. So find out what your local guy will charge you, and I'll match the price, and I'll do it. So it's a tremendous opportunity. Oh my gosh. So th- what, <laughs> I mean, what uh, an amazing opportunity. I mean, uh, uh, again, that, that speaks to the power of vision. <laughs> you know, this didn't, yeah. ha- this didn't happen by accident, Craig. No, it didn't. I really described it and he just was, I mean, I, uh, I have a tendency to talk a lot. I'm sure you're recognizing that on this podcast, but I just gave it all to him. I described it really in depth, I had a I had written in 2008, five years before that, or four years before that meeting, a descriptive vision of what my life looked like three years in the future, and I wrote it in the first person as if it was happening. So when something like I pull into the area where my building is located, it always expi- inspires me when I see the place where I work because of blah blah blah. I walk in the front door and Joanne, the director of first impressions is there and there's fresh cut flowers. <laughs> so I had, I mean, I made it all up. I mean, when I wrote that I had four employees and you know, we had a practice that was doing 600 grand between two dentists and three hygienists. Yeah. So I want to be cynical. I'm not cynical by nature. I, I don't believe I have a cynical ounce of DNA in, in me, but uh, let me role play as that. I mean, you had no right to do this, Craig. No right, no right. Which, which, and I say that I had no, I had no right. And when I was talking to the bank, Gary, about funding this, I had no right to be there, <laughs> and they had no right to give I, me now, the money. I can only imagine that that ninety nine percent of our listeners are are, are just chuckling because uh, they've they've experienced that but never been able to express it so clearly. <laughs> Well, I actually told my wife, I said, listen, baby, I, I, at the time when I got the loan, I had two children, young children. I have a five and an eight-year-old now. So back up to 2013, a newborn um, and, and, a, and a three-year-old. And the loan, I, I spoke to five different banks and you know, four of them rejected me. The fifth one Did said- Did they laugh? Did they actually laugh as they escorted you out? <laughs> Yeah, it was a hard time to borrow money in 2011 and 12 as yeah, well. You think? You think? And uh, banks will always give you money when you don't need it, and when you do need it, they won't give it to you. So uh, the fifth bank finally said yes, and then at the closing table, I had already alerted the GC that we're starting, so they put in for permits at the closing table, or maybe the day before they rejected me, which um, my lawyer friends said you could have actually sued them. Uh, but I didn't. I wasn't interested in spending energy going down that rabbit hole. I just wanted to go forward and pick up the pace and find the next one. But the guy actually said to me, he said, listen, I've been doing this a long time. And I think he used the word son when he was talking to me. He said, you're signing things that are going to put your new family in jeopardy. And as I'm taking off my banker hat here and I'm taking off my, I'm putting on my business hat. You have no right to do this at this point. You have a great idea. It's just the wrong time. Don't do it. And I, I mean, that, that hit me pretty hard. And I said, well, geez, maybe, maybe, maybe I am full of hot air. Maybe the market is not ready for this. 
And I told my wife um, the story and she said, what are you going to do? And, I, and after thinking about it, I just said, I'm going to find another bank. And I found another one and they agreed to do it. But I sat my wife down and said, listen, there's a, there's a decent chance that this thing will implode. So my plan B is I love California. <laughs> and I took her to California for a weekend. I said, we're going to pick the most epic spot in coastal California. And I'm going to open up. If this thing implodes, I'm going to open up a two-chair facility anywhere I want. Because as a dentist, we have something no one can ever take away from us our skill. And I believe in my skill as a dentist and my heart and passions to serve the patient. So no matter where I went, I knew I could always be okay. Um, I, uh, so, so my plan B, my contingency plan wasn't so bad. So at least I could say been there, done that. You were pragmatic about it. And, uh, you know, you know, certainly you're a visionary, Craig, you couldn't have what you have without being a visionary. Uh, but you did have this level of pregnancy pragmatism where you said to your wife that well hey honey if this doesn't work out um don't worry I'll, I'll, we'll still figure out how to put food on the table and a roof over our head i'll go open a little two operatory office uh, somewhere out in southern california and life will be okay yeah i didn't really do the math i'm sure those guys would have helped me i signed a lot of personal guarantees so i just didn't have any good business advice around me what do they say about being an entrepreneur you have an over exaggerated sense of confidence and no idea of the odds stacked against you or something to that except that you're going to figure it out you know yeah um, you're going to figure it out and that you have to have a certain amount of self-confidence and self-reliance uh that you'll figure it out and you've done just that uh, you know, there's so many things I'm, I'm on your website. Uh, by the way, I want to share your URL with our listeners. I imagine they'd like to, to visit your site. It's, uh, uh, Spodak Dental, S-P-O-D-A-K dental.com. Uh, but if you're driving, don't take your, your hands off the wheel. We want to advocate safe driving at the Thriving Dentist Show. So I'll put that in the show notes and you can simply click that and that'll take you directly to Craig's site. But, uh, some of the things that I see, I see a, a design that is just so appealing. You mentioned that one of your, your uh, uh, visions was to drive up in the morning and, and just uh, be joyful about where you're going to work that day. And I can only imagine that, that you feel that way every day. Yeah, I really do. Um, instantly, uh, when, when the building was built and um, the, the, there was no patients that were coming in and th there's a story, I don't know if we have time to go into, but the, the general idea is that my rent payment in my old building was about 5000 a month. And my ensuing mortgage payment was going to be $35,000 a month. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I had the intention to succeed. And let's face it, when you want to take the island and you burn the boats, you're either going to take the island and beat, the, you know, conquer the island or die on the island. So that was my approach. I burnt the boats. I had no other contingency plan except for California and being <laughs> trying to be chased down by the creditors there. Right. Uh, I, I did some quick math because the, the $35,000 a month may, uh, uh, there might be some of our listeners that just went into shock right there, or, or maybe they feel a lot better because they're only paying five grand a month, you know, <laughs> either way. <laughs> but actually as a percentage of, of your revenue, um, your facility costs are right in line. In fact, they're, they're below what I see for many practices. So it's all relative, right? It is, it is. But when I moved in, we were doing a little under for a little under 5 million. Okay. So not so much then. <laughs> yeah. So it was, so, so my facility costs were 
just incredibly high, but I, I just knew I had to do it. And sometimes it's, it's not, we blame our successes and failures and events, but it's actually your intention that dictates it. So, you know, when something doesn't go right, it's always an external factor or the market conditions or the market collapsed or this happened or that happened. But when you really take it upon yourself to, to say, I'm going to succeed no matter what, and your back is against the wall, you get really resourceful in life. Uh, Absolutely. Pushed to that level. So I knew that. I said, I want to I want to get pushed to do this. I want to have 50 employees or because I know it's going to require me to evolve as a leader. So I, I intentionally put myself in the pressure cooker environments oftentimes. I mean, being a pilot is that very same thing. You sold at 16 years old. I mean, that's 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 a lot of pressure. Yeah. You know, so, you know, uh, it, just to to kind of go into a, a little uh, takeaway for our listeners uh, about facility costs. Uh, the, the appropriate budget for your facility costs is five to 7%, five to 7% of your revenue. Um, and I just did the math on yours. Yours is running about 4.2%. Well, there, there, uh, there may be some other costs associated with property taxes and that sort of thing, but you're under 5%. Uh, so just, if you're listening, that's a way that you can measure your facility costs. And let's say you're looking at a new, uh, maybe buying a new building and you know what your mortgage is going to be. You can do the algebra backwards to figure out what you'd have to produce in that office in order for your facility costs to be in that five to 7% range. And I like to see it around 5%. Uh, but let's celebrate your office for just a minute. One of the things I notice is, uh, first of all, I love the kind of the, your, your modern version of what I call mid-century modern design. It's clean. It's, um, uh, uh, it's, uh, uh, simple w- without being sterile. And I'm not using sterile in a clinical sense. You know, sometimes, uh, modern design can, can get sterile. And again, I'm not using it clinically. I mean, just a design that is so sparse that yeah, it's actually cold, cold, cold and harsh. Yours is warm, is simple and warm. And it's also, uh, there's a number of gardens in, in and around your, actually in a courtyard and in other areas of your building, including a vegetable garden. Talk about that. So we employed not only, uh, lead design, which is environmentally conscious design, conscientious design. But we also incorporated a principle called the biophilic design principle. And it's basically, um, in a nutshell, that being surrounded by light and plants is good for people. I mean, if you buy a canary at you know the pet store and you get the little pamphlet of how to take care of your canary, the first line is put the cage by a window because animals, living things, including us human beings, need light. We need that. And when we think about most design for efficiency, glass is expensive. And most buildings are rectangular or square because it's the most efficient way to do it. We actually made the building, you know, with a lot of jogs in and out, which is more expensive, but it allows us to put more glass in. And with glass, we were able to put more plants in. And 85% of our building is daylit. So even interior spaces that have no access to exterior walls or glass have things called solitudes, which are fiber optic, large fiber optic tubular daylighting devices. And there's been scientific research that says people feel better. Purchasing decision has influenced people. Doctors make fewer medical errors in well daylit spaces. Um, in fact, there was a, a, a scientific article written that post-operative hospital patients in the ICU did better across the board in uh, recovery rooms that had windows. So they controlled for different types of procedures over time. And people just having access to a window have less post-operative infections and problems. 
So, you know, I realized I was going to spend the majority of my waking hours in this building and I wanted something that was going to be good for me and good for my team. And people get sick less here. They feel better. Uh, they get sick less often here. They feel better. Mm. Patients feel better. There's a famous quote that I love. It's Henry Ford always said, if he listened to the public, he would have built a faster horse. And, <laughs> and, and what that means is Henry Ford recognized that Americans needed a car. We just didn't know it yet. And I like to think that we need to be in environments that are healing environments, surrounded by light and vegetation. We just don't know it. So now I don't recognize that I feel better here, but when I go to an all-day lecture and I'm giving an all-day lecture and I'm in an interior room, I don't feel as good. By four or five o'clock, I don't feel as refreshed as I do when I'm at work. And actually, there's a German light bulb manufacturer that's making a very sophisticated bulb that waxes and wanes like daylight and is being sold for tons of money. And it's actually proving to be positive for your well-being, your psychology, and your physiology. So if you have an opportunity to design a space, you know, maybe you could incorporate some of these things. It's not just a gimmick. It actually makes you feel better. You may not know or your patients not, may not know why they feel better, but they will. Yeah, I really love that concept. And uh, I can only imagine that your patients have the same experience that you have when they come in. It's like, this is cool. I just want to be here. You know, I, you know, you'll hear that. You'll hear that a lot. Like when you read our Google reviews, you'll hear that not too many people put their finger on it. Like, Oh, he has a vegetable garden. Love my dentist. Right. You know, they're just like, I just, it feels good. Feels good. Or like the team seems to be really happy. And I like the fact that the team is happy. You know, uh, it's, it's a place and it's not just the physical plant because it's your, your team members as well, of course, that exude that uh, spirit, but it's a place that people want to be. And, you know, I'm, I'm reminded back to one of my mentors, Dr. Omar Reed. Uh, I'm sure you know of Dr. Reed and, and, uh, I had the privilege. He's been a mentor of mine since 1980. And these are concepts that he was incorporating in the eighties and nineties in his office. And, uh, uh, you know, it was a place that just people wanted to be. And, and those concepts are even more valid today, uh, because of, of just how gentrified so many practices have become, <laughs> you know, over the years they're, they're cookie cutter and they've become, you know, Craig, your, your practice stands very much as another model compared to what we're seeing as as a uh, a direction that many dentists or some dentists are going in these days. And let me let me define that. Uh, some dentists are heading in the direction of multiple facilities, multiple locations. Uh, you know, the idea of having a small group, uh, a small DSO, a dental service organization, where maybe a dentist has uh, developed a very good practice and maybe he or she really likes business. And they said, hey, we've done this well here. Let's take it and scale it. You know, let's, if we've done well in this one office, let's go out and, you know, do two, three, four, six, eight, ten. And that's a model that I'm seeing more and more of. And, and I'm not saying that's a bad model. Uh, that's something that might be their vision. But your model sort of stands uh, as another shining light of a model. It's the idea of instead of doing multiple locations with multiple fixed costs, why not do one location? Uh, that is powerful in terms of economics and somewhat control your expenses uh, in, in one facility instead of having multiple facilities. And one of the ways I think you've been able to uh, 
have a scale in your practice that doesn't feel like a big clinic uh, is uh, through your core values. And I want to walk through these. There's 14 core values. I'm going to just walk through those and I'll list those in the show notes for our listeners. But Craig, would it be okay if I went ahead and rattled off your core values? Absolutely. And Gary, they're all on my website as well. So, you know, I'm an open book. I want to help and serve dentistry. And uh, I don't, uh, there's no, there's nothing that's um, kind of. Kind of open book. You're open book. I'm an open Exactly, my friend. Yeah, so let me name those because I think this is, in my opinion, this is what allows you to have a big office and yet at the same time feel very personal and intimate to the patients. Number one, deliver WOW. It's W-O-W, all capitalized. Deliver WOW through service. Number two, embrace and drive change. Number three, create fun and a little unusualness. I'm going to come back to that one. Number four, be adventurous, creative, and open-minded. Number five, pursue growth and learning. Number six, build open and honest relationships with communication. Number seven, build a positive team and family spirit. Number eight, do more with less. Love that concept, by the way. Number nine, be passionate and determined. Number 10, be humble. So, so important. Number 11, Take the very best care of our patients. Number 12, be an environmental steward. Number 13, accountability and responsibility. So are your team members to be accountable and responsible? And number 14, results-oriented. Craig, come back. Let's come back to the one I want to highlight uh, a little bit. And that's the, number three, create fun and a little unusualness. Can you share a story or two about how you do that in the practice? Oh my God, we do, we do a lot of that. Um, so one thing that I believe is there, there's the industrial age definition of work where, um, people will say, um, the employee is stupid and lazy and we need to process them into getting them to do their, their work in a very, uh, regimented fashion. So we have processes for everything, scripting for everything. And then the other school of thought is a little bit more relevant in today's age, especially when we talk about millennials, which is what um, is called the participation age, where people are recognized to be human, creative, emotional, the whole gamut of human emotion. So I want to express everybody's humanity in the office. I don't want people just coming in, you know, not engaged, leaving their brain in their car and having to be told what to do like a bunch of soldiers. I don't, I don't want to be around those types of people. So I look for people that are willing to express themselves. So I have people in my office that are worried when they get hired. They said, you know, I have this type of, you know, haircut or I want to, exp- I have a, uh, some sort of piercing. And for me, I mean, as long as I, you fit our core values, <clears throat> excuse me, and you <clears throat> are in it for the right reasons, excuse me again. I don't mind expressing your creativity and your individuality. And when I say a little unusualness and fun, it's not a sterile environment. It's not physically cold, but it's also, it's empathetic. It's warm. And it's, it's very, it is, it is a little unusual. Like um, we all dress up on Halloween or we, we do, uh, we have an internal Facebook page, a team page where it's a private page where we're constantly posting jokes and taking funny pictures with each other. And we, we encourage people to express themselves. When you look at statistics across the nation, we have 80% of employees actively searching for another job. 
So we talk about engagement. Eight out of 10 people in the workplace are not happy where they are. And typically they get another job and they're still not happy where they are. So what I think needs to happen is we need to redefine work in a grander scheme and not just in the dental office, but part of redefining work is being able to express our humanity. There's crying that goes on in our office. There's um, things that we do called self-managed teams where we hold each other accountable. And there, there's some management that goes on b- between the team members that gets emotional at some, certain points. Things that could never happen in a traditional hierarchy where there's like a, a boss leader and a, and a subordinate. I mean, I could give you a great example of that, but we, we uh, express our humanity very oh, frequently. I love that. Uh, love that, Craig. You know, we, we have another common friend, Fred Joyall, and uh, Fred is the founder of uh, a 1-800-Dentist, and he's got uh, over 500 team members, and they're out in Los Angeles. They're located uh, not far from LAX, and one of the things that Fred does is uh, he tends to hire creative people. Uh, these are uh, wannabe actors and actresses and other performing artists. Uh, and uh, he, he has some of the most amazing, compassionate people because of who they search for, you know, to, uh, to uh, find the right team members for them. And, and as you're describing, you know, the idea of, ha- of have looking for team members that are fun and creative and, and, uh, you know, have some compassion, have passion like this. It made me think of Fred and, and his wonderful work environment. Well, Craig, one thing that's clear is that, uh, 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 in fact, may, may I put you on the, on the spot for, for just a minute, Craig? Uh, we, uh, we didn't talk about this ahead of time, so it's a little bit dangerous, but can I put you on the spot? Please. I, I hope you get the right answer. <laughs> no pressure, Craig. You ready? It's the right one to me, I suppose. You ready? Uh, yes, sir. Clearly. I've got to have you back on the show because there's so many things that we can talk about. You know, uh, I want to come back and talk about your, the composition of your doctors and your 52 team members and so on. So here's the question. Uh, can I get you back on the show? Absolutely. Okay. I, I, I somehow I thought you might get that right. <laughs> so we're going to, we're going to get you back on the show and uh, talk about, uh, you know, the, the format that you have with your doctors and how you have specialty services covered and the in-house lab and your 52 team members. So we'll come back and talk about that on a future show. So thank you, Craig. We didn't talk, we didn't talk about that ahead of time. So, uh, of course, if you said no, I was going to edit it, you know, out of the recording, but uh, somehow I thought you might say yes, but I want to kind of close the show today by talking about uh, something that I think is a byproduct of your vision. Uh, You have attracted a very famous patient uh, that every one of our listeners would, would recognize. Uh, and I imagine it's not just location. He does happen to live in Florida, but, but it's not just the location, but it really is your vision and your approach. Uh, you know who I'm talking about, right? Of course. Uh, Tony Robbins, uh, our listeners will recognize Tony Robbins or they should for sure. Um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, Tony Robbins. He wrote a book uh, recently called Unshakable, which, by the way, you're featured in. Is that correct? Yes, uh, it's my uh, three minutes of uh, fame, depending how fast you read. Well, let's let's slow. Let's let's give you twenty minutes. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, how cool! Talk talk about um, how Tony found you as a patient, and what he talked about in the book about you. So, um, I, when I moved into the building in 2013 and the ensuing levels of, uh, debt and, and pressure, a friend of mine had said to me, Hey, uh, you know, I have these Tony Robbins tapes. They may help you. 
And, you know, I said, it's not got, it's not the guy on TV and, you know, shallow how and banana hands or whatever. I had very limited exposure. I didn't know, uh, that's, that's, um, was applicable for people, uh, like me. And, and there was a, there was a very big distinction there of, of, I thought everything was going pretty well and I don't need something like that. And my realization is that no matter what's going on in your life, uh, to, to improve oneself or the, the journey within is, is the greatest endeavor of any of anything you could ever take on. So I listened to some tapes. I signed up for one of his courses. I went to his live event and I was just blown away. And uh, Did really you walk on it. fire? I absolutely did. I've walked on fire a couple times now. Uh, the last time I walked on fire, I was invited as Tony's guest and I, uh, my wife uh, had left. She's like, I've done that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do it. I've done that before too. So during the practice of walking on fire, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to do it. I've done it before. So I wasn't really engaged in the process and, and I didn't have my head in the right space. And then right when we broke to go walk on fire, Tony's like, all right, let's go. And he points at me. I'm like, oh damn, I'm going. So <laughs> Tony is like, come on doc, let's do this. And, uh, it wasn't as easy as the first time, but um, it's all about your intentionality if you practice it. But it was a wonderful you, you experience. You have to be present. <laughs> yes, you do. You, you yes, have to you be present. Well, Tony has been an amazing influence on, on my life uh, uh, yeah, through studying all of his work, reading reading his books, listening to his tapes, attending his programs. And, uh, you know, if, if you ever – if you're listening to this and we all, we all hit speed bumps at, at times in our life and we need some encouragement. We need some motivation. Uh, we need someone holding us accountable. I can't think of anyone better, uh, than, than Tony Robbins and, uh, Craig, you and, and, and Tony are, were kind enough to uh, kind of put together a special offer for our listeners. Um, and, uh, it, we're able to get them a free book. How about that? Huh? Yeah, that's really um, generous of Tony, and um, I'm happy to say that I'm uh, I've joined forces with Tony. So our our patient doctor relationship has gone into a friendship, which is great. And Tony's uh, newest book, Unshakable, his financial uh, freedom playbook, is still a number one bestseller. And uh, I had to pay twenty six dollars for that book. And uh, through so it's it's, a, it's available free for any of our listeners. Uh, and let me explain how to get that. Pause. Hey, this is Jody from the Thriving Dentist Show team. I wanted to let you know there's been an updated link since we recorded this episode, and you can get the free book by going to thrivingdentist.com forward slash Tony. You'll get the free book, Unshakable. So, Craig, thanks to you, and uh, also thanks to Tony. Now, uh, Tony actually pays for that book from the publisher, pays for it out of his pocket. Is that correct? Yes. And the reason he does that, Gary, is he's very passionate about um, feeding America. And he has a hundred million meals challenge. He donated a hundred million meals last year. And that's and, in, the, uh, in the United States of America. Exactly. It's, it's, it's incomprehensible, that amount. Um, and uh, every purchase of the book, all the proceeds from that book will go to Feeding America. So he makes no money from this. In fact, not, is, only, not only doesn't make any money from this, but it actually costs Tony out of pocket uh, to fund this. So the way that it works is Tony buys the books from the publisher, uh, and they'll be provided to you at no charge at all. So here's th- three win. It's, it's a literally a win. You know, we think win-win, but this is literally win-win-win. So win for you. You get to read an amazing book, Unshakable. And it's all about really getting uh, the book. If I had to summarize it is really all about getting your financial house in order. Uh, and then, uh, secondly, uh, you're benefiting, uh, 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 Tony's cause, which is to help uh, feed people that, uh, are, are in need of uh, high quality nutrition. Uh, and then finally, 
you get to benefit by all the concepts that you could apply from this book. So it's literally win, win, win. Now I want to close while we're on the subject of, of finances. Uh, you know, Craig, you have uh, been able to kind of figure out some things in regards to a, a pension plan, a 401k plan through kind of the school of hard knocks. Yeah. Uh, you made some mistakes and uh, uh, we all have. Uh, however, you've learned from those mistakes and you have found a very good resource that I'd like to introduce to our listeners. Uh, it's called America's Best 401k Plan. Would would you uh, tell the story a little bit about, you know, the, the way you stubbed your toe and the way you've, you've, you've corrected that? Yeah, I'd love to, Gary. So thanks for bringing that up. Um, I was getting my 401k through my payroll provider and those guys, the insurance and payroll providers are notorious for charging egregiously high fees around the 401k. And uh, maybe the listening population doesn't know this, but we as the plan sponsor, the dentist or owner of the plan has a fiduciary responsibility to check our fees. So when Tony's first book came around, uh, the office team had read that and said, hey doc, let's check our fees. I'm like, no, the guy's great as a patient. He brings me donuts. We don't need to check the fees. I'm sure they're fine. So under some pressure, uh, I decided to look under the hood, so to speak. I went to AB401k, um, who is Tony's, Tony's a board of directors of that company, and found out that I was paying a significantly high enough percentage in fees that the delta, the difference between what I'm paying now and then would amount to an extra $1.4 million of retirement savings just by making a switch. So um, me being the largest component of that 401k, a lot of that's going to come back to me. But it's even though we don't see it as a huge thing, maybe just two, you know, one or two percentage points, but that amounts to a massive difference in savings. So in full disclosure, in order to get the book, we want to have the dentist just look at their fees. And you might think it's as simple as getting a fee disclosure document, but those fee disclosure documents on 401ks are up to 50 pages long. So there's no like truth in lending disclosure, like when you sign a mortgage or a loan with you know a dental supply company. There's no way to just distill down the fees very quickly and easily. So that's what this is. You'll find out your fees. There's no obligation, and it'll be a really enlightening experience. So uh, that'll be in the link that we provide for the book. You'll get the information on America's Best 401k. Um, the really cool thing about it is that uh, by reducing the amount of fees that you're paying through the administration of those plans. Uh, you're benefiting yourself in your pension plan, but you're also benefiting all of your team members that are in that plan as well. And Craig's absolutely right that as the, uh, uh, you know, as the administrator of a 401k plan, you have a fiduciary responsibility. I know that sounds like a lot of legal mumble jumbo, but you have a fiduciary responsibility to maintain uh, a low fee structure so that the plan isn't being adversely taxed by high fees. And uh, Tony has, uh, as as uh, as as being a part of the board of directors of America's Best 401k, is passionate about helping helping you keep as much of your hard earned money as you possibly can. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Uh, it's been a great resource for you and, uh, I know it'll be a great resource for our listeners as well. And again, if you want to get that book, uh, the book's called unshakable and Gary, I'll interject again. The link for that is thrivingdentist.com forward slash Tony. Well, uh, Craig, I, I want to thank you, man. I want to thank you for your passion, uh, for your vision for carrying forward the wonderful uh, uh, genealogy that you have in dentistry, third-generation dentist. I mean, how cool is that? Is there is there a fourth maybe uh, percolating? 
Oh, I would love that. I would love that. Um, right now, my oldest, Sage, she's eight. She says she wants to work in the room right next to Grandpa. But um, I don't know. <laughs> my dad's 76, going strong. But I don't know if he wants to work another 20 years when she, by the time right. she gets to the dental school. Well, let's see if we can in, in, uh, influence your uh, your children to uh, to follow in the footsteps of their father, grandfather, and great-grandfather. I mean, how cool would that be? But, Craig, I want to thank you. Thank you for your vision. Dentistry needs more vision. Uh, we need more Craig's Bodaks out there. And, uh, you know, we need more geek sheiks, right? Yeah. Well, hopefully we enrolled some today. <laughs> I hope we have. And, uh, Craig, I'm going to bring you back. We're going to talk about, uh, uh, your, uh, composition of your team with, with 10 doctors, with, uh, onsite lab and with 52 amazing team members. So we'll come back and talk about that stuff as well. Uh, but in the meantime, Craig, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your vision. Thank you for your passion. Uh, thanks for sharing your story, uh, warts and all, um, I love the story of how, how when you're envisioning this, you have absolutely no right to do this. And, uh, four, four bankers, uh, uh, you know, proceeded to summarily, uh, uh, dismiss you and walk you out, <laughs> but exactly. you kept going. The, the fifth one, uh, maybe you wore them out. I don't know. Uh, but exactly. the, the fifth one said yes. And it's just another example of, uh, following your vision. So Craig, thanks for all that you do. Uh, yeah, Gary, thank you as well for, for being a leader in dentistry and, and, and helping shape the, the profession's future. It's, it's huge that people like you with your vast knowledge and experience and background would be so kind to give it to dentistry because dentistry is a wonderful profession and, and it's a, a noble profession. We're helping people. So, uh, it's I want to thank you. Uh, I, I, I use the term dentistry rocks. I mean, I really believe that dentistry rocks. It, it, we have such an amazing opportunity every day. I know our listeners would, would like to reach out uh, to you. I, I mentioned the website, uh, uh, spodakdental.com, if they want to go to the website. But you're also pretty active on social media, in particular Facebook and Instagram. I'm going to list uh, in the show notes, I'm going to put your contact information for social media in the show notes for your uh, Facebook and also Instagram. Is that a good way for people to reach out to you yeah sure friend me uh, i'll i'll accept you uh, i'll accept everybody and um we'll learn together that's hey. a great form for me well thank you greg uh, craig and thank you for being such a, a wonderful open book uh, for for our uh, listeners thanks so much for listening to bulletproof dental practice with your hosts dr peter bolden and dr craig spodak online at bulletproofdentalpractice.com we'll catch you next time